I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. I'm Connor Crockford. And we love to watch. We love to watch the final solution to the cowgirl problem. Hey, Peter. Hey, guys. How's it going? Going pretty good. Peter sounds like he's got something to talk about. Oh, boy. <laughs> what was that? <laughs> <laughs> that sneaks up on me when you do that because we talk for like 15 minutes before we start recording. And then suddenly it's just, hey, guys. <laughs> hey. Things took a turn in the last 60 seconds. <laughs> hey, everyone. Welcome to We Love to Watch. Um, that, that last P right before the podcast really changed me. <laughs> we Love to Watch After Dark. After dark. <laughs> the watch boys get dirty. Do you guys like having sex with people? <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> well, that's why we don't do We Love to Watch After Dark because yeah. there we go. the audience, the participation of the hosts is terrible. Right. Our guest did not want to join in. Uh, it was off putting to everyone, really. Much like sex with me. Right. <laughs> um, um, so, guys, how did it feel for you to see a vision of the future six months before it happens? I felt so much buoyant optimism for my country after watching that movie. <laughs> so, again, we're, we're terrible at this. So, it's a new theme month. Uh, we, we're doing uh, future sports, which ended up kind of being all dystopian sports. Right. And the episode that Connor is back joining us for today is Death Race 2000, the 1975 Roger Corman produced... Uh, movie we're gonna yeah it this was a very weird experience um i've seen this movie before i gave it like i absolutely love this movie the last time i thought it was uh, i love the satire love the action thought it was uh fun with a lot of really good points this time um i love the satire love the action uh fun kind of went away <laughs> Oh, really? Right. Yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> it was like it was it, it. Some parts hit a little too close to home, but we'll we'll get into all that before we really get going. Though Connor, you haven't been on our show yes. in seven months. We're so happy to have you back, Connor. To reacquaint yourself with our audience, why don't you tell us three more things about yourself? Oh boy! All right. Let's see. Um. Uh, I'm bad at these guys. I'm bad at these. Uh, Number one, bad at these. <laughs> bad at these. Yeah, that's a good one. Oh, I, I like that you said like these. Like this is a thing that right. happens to people. It so. does. You know, it is. It, it's an occasion. It's an occasion. Uh, let me think. All right. Uh, number one, I recently bought a very nice mod raincoat. From a English company that I've been wearing a lot, so that's been kind of nice. There's nothing better than like a good clothing purchase that right. that's like a little not like out there, but like a little bit like outside yeah. of what your comfort would be, and then you actually are wearing it all the time. Oh, I'm I'm turning into a dandy like pretty rapidly actually. <laughs> I'm turning into a Midwest dad. I now own two vests. There you go. See, that's what my dad has exactly. Oh yeah, yeah. New England vests. I was worried that I was gonna that it was gonna be something that I bought, and then I was like, "No, I'm I'm, I'm 25. I'm still young. I'm not right. wearing a fucking vest everywhere." And then I was like, "But sometimes your arms get a little warm." You know, you need that. So why don't you buy American, Connor? I think all of our listeners want to know. <laughs> I'm a trader, Aaron. Didn't you know that? Come on. 
That's the second well, thing I'm, right there. I'm a traitor. Total traitor. <laughs> Number two. I'm a traitor. Okay. <laughs> That's great. Uh, so glad we're recording that mm-hmm. in our new dystopian <laughs> world that we live in. Right. Yeah. Wink, wink. Nudge, nudge. All right. Number three thing, if, if the traitor thing counts. Um... <laughs> I mean, it's definitely actionable. Yeah. Number three, <laughs> uh, my band uh, just recorded a single, uh, Dying Young, which is currently being mixed. So, that's a new that's development. Tin Flowers. Yeah, Tin Flowers. That's awesome. Uh, I love your yeah. stuff. I also... Thank yeah. you. You have a few interests. I've also read some of your, your writing as well. Yes. I remember really liking, um, was it Bastard Spiral? Yeah, The Exile. That, that, that story. Yeah, thank you. Yes, yes. I remember really, yeah. really liking reading that story when I read it a while ago. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Yeah, I, I'm sorry I can't uh, pay you a compliment as nice as, Connor, you have a few interests, but I'll try to <laughs> try to come up with something. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. You have those sparkling eyes. Connor, Connor you know what? I think you have many interests. So much. <laughs> uh, like I think you're a well-rounded human being, is what I'm you. saying. I don't know thank what Peter you. was saying earlier. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't. It didn't mean anything to me. But, and you know, Connor, whatever. I think you're a handsome young boy. And <laughs> <laughs> I think you're the tallest boy in your class, frankly. And oh! uh, <laughs> Connor, I bet you could. I've never met you in real life. I bet that you could dunk a basketball. No. I <laughs> From actually half bet, court. No. Absolutely. You're being not. hard on yourself. How low is the hoop? I'm I'm guessing on a podcast about Death Race 2000. I can't do a slam dunk or anything. <laughs> <laughs> what about if you do a flip first? One of your famous flips. Oh yeah, I could do a flip. Yeah, that, that could work. Yeah. What if it were a Escape from LA type situation where you'll be uh, sniped from a guard tower if you don't perform a series of basketball moves? Yeah, that's that's a potential. You know, I've actually never seen Escape from LA. <gasps> or Escape from that's New York. So. And I like Escape from L.A. more than Escape from New York. Escape from L.A. is also it's on the list with all of these movies um, where it's got weird uh, Trump corollaries because it was made by Carpenter who yeah. lived through the, through the Reagan years and was like, oh, my God, what if this were like 30 percent worse? <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then he imagined a world that's probably ideal compared to our current world. Yeah. I mean, it has, it has Kurt Russell's a badass, which, you know, it's always great. So um, yeah. I actually think I think we keep saying this is very Trump like. And what's actually happening is people are making like Hitler like movies. And now when we watch them, we're like, this is so much like Trump. <laughs> right. Who is this like, guy in this downfall movie? <laughs> they basically like tried to make Hitler for the TV era. And that's what Trump yeah. is. That's- so like we we need we need a Hitler, but like one that is good on TV to to be like this new dystopian guy. And that's like exactly what Trump is. So that's why all these movies remind us of Trump. That's very true. I will say I've been chatting with a friend about Trump versus Hitler. And his essential point <laughs> is that Hitler is good at stuff. Whereas Trump is actually surprisingly bad at everything except winning elections he was a big dummy too he was surrounded by like these hyper competent evil people and i think trump's failing is that because he has such low self-esteem is that he actually surrounds himself for the most part with hyper incompetent crazy people yeah so that's why he hopefully won't be as successful uh, moving on on We Love to Trump. Yes. Uh, it's going to be a long month, guys. <laughs> it's be a long four years. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's only been 10 days. 
Oh, that's heartbreaking. <laughs> it feels like it's been yeah. six months. I oh yeah. god, I'm done. I'm having like anxiety attacks. It's been horrible. Absolutely. It is funny horrible. though because as you get older, like I can't believe I'm turning 34 this year. Right. Um, it just seems like the time goes really fast. Um, Ooh, you're I, up for you a know, death panel next year, I think. I am, and I was <laughs> yeah. hoping that's that's a Logan's Run Trump future. <laughs> like, yeah. Choose your instead of choose your own adventure, it's choose your own Trump future. <laughs> is it Logan's Run? Is choose it your own 2000? <laughs> At least it'll is be it? early in Logan's Run. I'm really, um, I'm really betting on a Mad Max future. Honestly, that's like. The most pessimistic I can go, but I'm going Mad Max. Mad Max or like Road Warrior? Because Mad Max, right. they're still like kind of a civilization. I'd say Road Warrior because Lord he Humongous. He still has a job. Lord Humongous <laughs> is, is, is pretty close to Trump in a lot of ways. Except he's actually well-spoken. So. Yeah, wait, he's way nicer than Trump. I, I trust Lord Humongous' offer when he says you can just walk away. That's true. That's true. Yeah. All right. You know what? No. Um, Immortan Joe. Immortan Joe. <laughs> Trump. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. That all over. Yeah. Again, yeah. just like uh, the Dead Zone, the crazy president from Dead Zone. Yeah. There's there's like these these corollaries that you're like, oh, that's so Trumpy. And you're like, no, this is just evil assholes in power. This yeah. is a theme that's been. Yeah, they just tried to make fascists. And like, we only recognize that because, oh, he's a fascist. And right. we haven't had as much experience with it at with this level of. We've had a lot of experience with fascists, but not so much with this level of power to actually enact fascism. Right. So you, know so. Scene, you know that scene in Dead Zone where uh, Martin Sheen chops off that senator's hand or whoever the fuck it is that needs to give him control of the nuclear football? He, like, needs to put a hand on the screen so he can get control of the nukes. And he's like, fuck it. And he, like, shoots him or he, and he, like, puts the dude's hand on there or whatever. Whatever he does to make it work. Yeah. I, I think Trump would be too much of a pussy for that. And that's why he keeps Steve Bannon around so that. Oh, yeah. Uh, so that if, if, like, there's a moment where he's like, I don't like that guy. Steve Bannon's like, I'm actually human garbage. I'll do whatever you want. <laughs> I'm a Marine. I've actually killed people. I don't care. (laughs) We kind of have a a segment. Uh, Peter, we don't really have a game. Um, I think one thing, Connor, last time you were on, we, uh, I wrote up a big thing, really prepared for a fun game. Right. Um, And what you'll find now in in Trump's America is that now we just have an idea to have a conversation (laughs) for our segments. Right. Uh, I thought, I think that sometimes it's good to just like give us a rough framework of what to talk about so that uh, if we get in trouble, we get something to back up on, but we don't seem to have that problem this week. Uh, What I really wanted to talk about this week was since the theme of the month is future sports uh, and we'll get into later what, what the fuck that means. Um, I wanted to ask you guys what you generally think of sports and what your experience with sports has been. I played a lot of sports as a kid. Uh, I was in uh, Death Race 92, uh, Death Race 93. Uh, injured hammy, couldn't go to Death Race 95, uh, but but back back in full force for Death Race 96. And then, you know, I, I, I you know that's when I got into movies and, like, stopped caring about death racing. Uh, yeah. Got really into the movie Death Race 2000. Uh, <laughs> you start living vicariously through other people's yeah, death races. I started, yeah, exactly. Um, no, I um, – so the sports that I watch right now when I watch them are baseball and football and uh, and some college football. Uh, sometimes I'll watch uh, March Madness. Um, I'm more of a I'm, – I'm, I'm not one of those like I'll watch whatever games are on. I have, I have my teams, uh, Cubs, 49ers, Oregon Ducks in football. Uh, and I'll usually like watch them 
play because you don't know. I don't always get to watch Cubs game, especially if they're in the playoffs or a football game. Um, I'll watch the Super Bowl every year. One thing that's really been cut back as I, you know, have a kid and my free time has cut back where I used to never miss a 49ers game when they were on TV because, again, I didn't get all of them because I don't live in San Francisco. Um, you know, now it's like if they make it to the playoffs, I'll watch those games, and that's about it. Just because I, you know, some something gets rolled back, and it wasn't going to be movies or video games, so right. <laughs> it, it was, uh, it was, it was sports, sports, and stuff like nightly viewings of the Daily Show and and the Colbert Report uh, when they were on took those took big hits. Uh, so, and then yeah, as a kid, I played um, like basketball, soccer, but I was not athletic. And I was it was a lot of being forced into that stuff by my dad. Um, And then he he stopped forcing me, but said he did not allow video games in our house, except if we played like a full season of T-ball, we could rent a Super Nintendo for a week. And that was like enough to get me through a whole season of baseball was the was the was the chance to play Super Mario World for a few days. Yeah, obviously, I mean, I played literally a whole summer's worth of baseball so I could have my few days of... Because we didn't even own a, a console, so that was like... Yeah. That, and so, so you know, you get to play at friends' house, but you never really get to play because it's like whenever they're done playing or want to go do something else or they've played hundreds of hours in Super Mario World. Unlike me, it was like, get out of here. I'm just going to live at your house for a few days. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it was a lot of... It was a lot of that. But then I will say in like... um Later elementary school, like sixth grade and junior high, uh, I did I did really want to play basketball. Basketball is huge. This was like you know, you're talking like ninety four, ninety five. So you're talking Michael Jordan, Bulls. Everyone loved basketball. I love basketball, uh, and so I did play. I played for uh, my school's basketball teams, and I was the kid that if I made a shot, everyone was really happy for me. I was that kid too. Whenever I'd make, a, I remember like specifically like the. F- when I was in like seventh grade or whatever, when I played basketball, like the five times in a season, I would actually make a shot. Uh, mostly because I wasn't fast enough to get the ball, but yeah, <laughs> five times I would make the shot. Uh, I remember the specific moments of like people actually clapping yeah. a lot and getting excited. Oh, <laughs> like, dumb fatty made a shot. <laughs> See, I was super skinny. I, I actually think it was like kind of a lack of confidence on my part that like, no one really thought I was good at basketball, so I never really wanted to be, like, the person who had to shoot a shot. Like, give it – I'll pass it to someone else. You know, don't get put that pressure on me to the point that probably the times that I shot was, like, people going, you are open, shoot. <laughs> um, like, I was, like, peer pressured into throwing up a ball. And then, you know, you get so many of those times where people are so yeah. disappointed because it's, oh, you're wide open and you're right you're right under the hoop, little kid. You fucking failed <laughs> that, again. Yeah, exactly. So, I think that that was a big thing because, like, now when I go play sports or something like that, like, I'll go play football with friends. Not as much anymore that I have a kid, but, like, in my 20s, like, I was, I was pretty good at this, like, not, like – really good but i wasn't like embarrassingly bad at this stuff and i'm not sure if it's just because like uh my body filled out a little more or like i didn't care if if people like i didn't feel that terrible crushing uh 12 year old peer pressure at like performing in front of uh, all of your friends and their parents <laughs> and some other kids from another school so yeah i i yeah i agree there's at some point i was like oh 
This isn't thrilling anymore. No. Yeah. So how about you, Connor? What's your What's your experience watching sports? What? How about uh, playing? And then we'll we'll get to Peter. It is uh, a complex his. and tragical history. <laughs> it's a It's a mix of like I always got bored playing sports for the most part, except maybe like tennis because tennis games are are pretty quick. Because you know my mind would just lose interest really quickly. Like, I was one of those kids where, like, it just never compelled me. Like, I didn't need to win. I think I- I'm going to I'm gonna echo Peter here. And I was, like, the fat kid who, like, fucked up the, the slam dunk or whatever, you know. <laughs> um, so, I hated gym, you know. De- I definitely have, like, cooled off on my previous hatred of sports in the sense of, like, I like playing certain sports. I was on the field hockey team for a little bit in, like, eighth grade. And, like, I'll go see a baseball game with my dad because... It's kind of fun. You know, It's the experience of it is kind of cool. Yeah, um, yeah. Baseball games are fun. That's actually yeah. uh, one of my favorite things happened in Minnesota. Speaking of yeah. the stuff we were talking about before the show, uh, I went to a Twins game. And, yeah. Uh, and, like, the Twins weren't particularly great. But... No. But the stadium's great. It was the a stadium's great downtown. Yeah. And yeah. The, and it was like the beers were cheap and it was a hot day and it was just like it was exactly. yeah there's, there's something about going to a baseball game that's like really really fucking thrilling but watching them on tv unless it's like a climactic game is very boring because you get to drink outside in the sun yeah exactly yeah football is definitely really boring for me baseball like i'm okay with watching out of the corner of my eye going to a baseball game is is very like interesting like uh, i think i said to my dad we went to a baseball game this summer and i i said to him i've never done this before like we're in the middle of the fenway stadium and he's like oh oh it's wonderful it's it's the nation's mosque which really struck me that's pretty interesting yeah yeah, yeah. So. yeah fenway's great like yeah. i mean the whole yeah. reason i kind of got into why i'm such a cubs fan is that i went to wrigley like a few times when i was like six or seven and like i was a, i've been a cubs fan my entire life ever since then like the the team i played for in little league was the cubs too so like oh, the, yeah there was that kind of like co-connection but yeah Going with my uncle, who lived in Chicago at the time, to, to Wrigley. Like, and, you know, he's like, look at all those people. They sit on roofs over there and seeing, like, Ryan Sandberg play. Like, that was enough to... So, I always liked sports. It was just a matter of, like, I don't like sports the way I like movies. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, so, something gives when you when your free time becomes threatened by, by family. Would you say that sports were benched? For video, uh, <laughs> no, I wouldn't. No, I wouldn't say that. No. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's a ridiculous thing. I, I respect the idea of sports too much to make such a just a just a joke at their expense. Um, sports are America's Jesus. Yeah, yeah, they are. Yeah, they're America's Jesus. Also, also America's Jesus, our version of Jesus that right. we have here. White Jesus is what I call yeah. him. He likes guns. <laughs> <laughs> so my experience is pretty similar. Uh, I played. I never played uh, baseball growing up because uh, I just had shitty hand-eye coordination. And I wasn't that fast. But uh, I played football growing up for, uh, I guess, four years. Uh, and then when it, it came time to try out in high school, I was like, I'm not fucking doing that. Because I was a kid that, like, got big 
quick. Did you wish on any sort of magical? Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, it was fortune like, teller at a carnival. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. I, I went to a carnival and I said, uh, "Make me a fat fifth grader." Um, <laughs> and he just he give me even, some snack cakes. <laughs> he right. just handed out uh, fucking oatmeal cookies for like <laughs> just, just days on end. Uh, but anyways, it wasn't a fortune teller. It was just a broken vending. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I just rubbed my greedy mitts together and shook it a little I want to be big. (laughs) So I wasn't like a fat, fat kid. I was just like a normal fat kid. So like compared to like the rail thin fifth graders around me, I was the fat kid. And then um, I uh, in (laughs) so then for fifth grade. I was a lineman, right? Nobody was... I was way too fucking big to be a uh, receiver or really anything uh, involving touching the ball. Uh, Because I think once you... There was like a weight, weight restrictions. And there were single stripers, which was like, I don't know, 100 pounds. And like double stripe was like 115 or something. Give or take 10, 20 pounds on either side, whatever. And I was a double striper, which meant that... Uh, I was uh, allowed to be, like, basically uh, offensive lineman only. Maybe defensive lineman, but they kind of want defensive lineman to be a little fast. So that didn't happen. Hmm. Um, so <laughs> I'm not following a lot of this, but it right. does sound like justification for something. <laughs> so like he's trying I, to explain. These are so football I terms. For a long I believe time. them. So I was, I was uh, offensive line for a long time uh, because that was the, like the only place weight wise that they let big boys in. And it was awesome for three years because I was just fucking steamrolling kids because I was bigger than them by about 30 pounds. And then uh, because of a combination of me losing weight because of sports and because of kids going through actual puberty and... <laughs> Because of kids lifting weights in eighth grade, which I thought was fucking insane. Uh, I all of a sudden was like a mid-sized lineman, which was not fun because that meant football was a lot of work all of a sudden. (laughs) And then after eighth grade, I was like, I'm not trying out in high school. Those kids are monsters. Um, (laughs) Because I just wasn't I just wasn't big enough and I had no interest in lifting weights. Like I I literally didn't like I, I didn't lift a weight until I got to college. Like I fucking me either yeah like there's no. there's even people in my high school that i'm like what the fuck are you doing mm-hmm. <laughs> we're, yeah. we're all naturally skinny because of metabolism yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so i in so i hated but i hated sports in general like i was never really into them i liked the experience of like going to notre dame games with my dad because he's a really big notre dame fan i liked going to those games i liked going to regularly growing up every now and then um but, like, I, was, I, I hated sports, and I was, like, one of those fucking, like, sports ball kids that would, like, make fun of sports for the longest time. And then uh, as I've gotten older and less insufferable, as I hope everybody does, right. uh, <laughs> uh, I still don't understand a lot of sports. But, like, I appreciate the act of going with friends to a bar and watching, say, uh, a hockey game or a baseball game. But a lot of that has to do with the fact that, like, Chicago sports teams minus the Bears have been pretty goddamn good the past four years. Um, It's kind of easy to be like, sports are fun when you go to a bar and everybody's drinking and everybody is in a good mood the whole game. Uh, (laughs) But but it's, it's, it's given me more of an appreciation. So now, like, people that it used to be like people that were really, really hardcore into sports were like my least favorite people. But now that I'm older, it's like people who are like lol sports ball like i don't even know what you're talking about because at that point it's like 
motherfucker, like, <laughs> you get so mad when people make fun of your goddamn, like, you, you being on the train with your Nintendo DS playing Pokemon or, like, you liking cosplay or whatever. Like, you can't be an asshole for, to somebody else for liking sports especially now that video games are so fucking mainstream like and as to end the worst part of like video game culture is just as toxic if not more toxic yeah. than the worst part of sports culture yep. um Absolute yeah so I, either side yep nerds don't understand that they've won still so they're still yes. angry about stuff where it's like who cares who exactly cares? exactly nerds yeah. still think that the war is on and it's like the biggest movies now are Marvel movies. Women don't want to kiss you, not because you're a nerd, right. but because you're an insufferable human being. You're angry all the time. Yeah. That's why they don't be around yeah. you, man. God. It is not because you wear glasses and right. play Dark Souls. Yep. You fucking idiot. Oh, maybe don't write a bunch of misogynistic things online. Mm-hmm. Yeah. On your Facebook page. Um, so I, I got to say, I'm really surprised uh, that the three of us on this movie podcast to talk about Death Race 2000 have kind of a similar experience with sports. Yeah. Uh, that is a shock to me. Uh, <laughs> I do have this whole theory, though, about like how like blind loyalism to – uh, sports teams is why our uh, political system has, like, I think the rise of, like, uh, the NFL and other things, I do think that that has somewhat precipitated our change in how we view politics as, like, a team winning and losing in a way that didn't exist as much 40 yeah. or 50 years ago, where yeah. it's not, it's no longer about, like, like, it's okay if you like the Packers you don't need a rational reason for liking them and you don't need a rational reason to hate these other teams when they try it. And like, and people really do. And I feel like somehow that that is permeated into our everyday life. And especially when you have, again, this team structure and people are constantly willing for weaknesses, it's almost like, look, I'm not happy. President Obama is doing this drone program, but Right now, the Republicans are trying to say that gay people aren't humans. <laughs> so any any criticism of President Obama, even accurate, is only going to give – it's not like there's a legitimate opposition. Like the conservatives on that are saying, no, we shouldn't do this stuff. Like both parties want to bomb people with drones. Pretty much. I'm, I'm saying that like if you support the people that are attacking him, it's like, yeah, that is bad. But considering the other party wants to do the same thing and the other party wants to do all this stuff, it kind of becomes this thing where you, again, are just like, look, he's not perfect, but when the fucking wolves are at the door, sometimes, you know, you, yeah. it's it's hard, you know, so much like this movie that we're about to talk about, our <laughs> discussion on sports led into a discussion on politics. So, right. guys... <laughs> Do you want to start talking about Death Race 2000? I Sounds good to me. I fucking love you to talk about it. You may be surprised. People in this world are getting organized. You're bound to lose. You fascists bound to lose. Woo! All you fascists bound to lose. I said, all you fascists bound to lose. Yes, sir. All you fascists bound to lose. So a recap. Uh... Murder sports are very popular until one guy stops them all and becomes the new leader of murder sports. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what this movie is saying about violence is uh, sometimes confusing, Indeed. but uh, but I enjoy it. 
So my 90 second recap is there's a death race in the year 2000 <laughs> wherein competitors. Hold on. Where, where are you getting your facts? <laughs> uh, the back of the DVD box. Um, no, there's and a, the front. Yeah. And the front. <laughs> um, there's a, a death race and uh, competitors uh, compete for glory and honor in this new dystopic religious sort of uh, curialist vision of America. We meet all these competitors. They all seem like shitheads at first. They kind of are all shitheads, but still. There's Mr. Frankenstein, who's this like chewed up dude who's been pieced together a million times. And there's uh, fucking like a Nazi and a cow girl and like a roman legionnaire type and then like a chicago mobster type played by sylvester stallone mm-hmm. and did i miss any cars mm, no i think you got There's all five cars yeah so these all they all compete in this death race uh one of the prizes is other than glory and honor and all that is you get to uh shake hands with the president that will be important later they go through the death race the various stops the various tricks of the road and they're actually being hunted by a resistance movement that's killing off riders as we go. So riders get uh, detracted from the race until we're finally at uh, Dr. Frankenstein versus his greatest rival, which is Machine Gun Joe Viterbo. The two of them race to the end. Uh, Dr. Frankenstein wins, but we find out over the course of the road with Dr. Frankenstein as navigator that he's actually been pl- uh, working not for the res- resistance, but in uh, the interests of the resistance. He wants to kill the president. Uh, with this bomb built into his hand, a literal hand grenade. Wow, you you just blew my mind, Peter. <laughs> the movie itself makes it pretty clear, but uh, you get to the end, and uh, there's a sort of coup wherein the navigator, who is secretly working for the resistance, and uh, Mr. Frankenstein, uh, who is also secretly working for the resistance, uh murder the president and then become the president and first lady and they abolish the games but they do it with a sort of uh goodbye to murder uh as they kill the announcer of the games <laughs> yeah uh that was pretty good so let's talk about our history with this movie quick and what we thought about if we'd seen it before and what our thoughts were uh, either watching it for the first time or uh or re-watching it uh, I'll start quick. So I uh, I did see this movie for the first time a few years ago. Became an immediate like top one hundred favorite. Um, I really loved it. Be- between the over the top satire, between the uh, the crazy performances, the way they really committed to this kind of dystopian video game, the fact that the action was fun to watch. Um, I liked all the little touches that pointed towards like how their civilization worked without ever really spending too much time to go into it where you kind of had to extrapolate from the information you're given very like fury roadish in that way where you don't really get a complete picture of what's going on but oh there's this president and and again parroting a lot of stuff that you saw at the time in our country which is like everything that goes wrong they blame on the french which is (laughs) remarkably prescient for a movie made in 1975 yeah uh and and yeah, so I absolutely loved it. It's it's a brisk like seventy eight minutes, uh, hits all its points, and 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 basically goes home uh, while still being fun and having some great like seventies exploitation, gratuitous violence, nudity, all that stuff that you want from these types of movies. And I hadn't seen it since. Uh, watched it again for this podcast. I agree with everything I said, except as I mentioned on the onset, this kind of took on a level of stress that I was. Not expecting, 
Uh, still love it. Still think it's a, a really kind of a masterpiece of of seventy schlock exploitation, Roger Corman type, low budget filmmaking. But what three years ago seemed like a ridiculous exaggeration of some of our country's tendencies ha- now kind of seems like could happen next week. So, like for example, the Nazi that's playing in this game. You know, three years ago, watching that, it was it was a funny satirical point of what kind of civilization would allow Nazism to be that prevalent again and for it to not to be a big problem. That tells you a lot about the civilization. Now it's like, oh, we did that. We did. We've done that, too. So it's not as fun in the sense that it's pointing out fascist things it just it feels like a slight tweak from where we are now as opposed to uh, a parallel world which it seemed three years ago so so yeah it's still great it just some of the fun was removed from uh what is still a very good movie uh connor what what did you what did you think of this have you had you seen it before Uh, you had not correct no this is my first time viewing um i think i'd heard of it you know because i mean you know, you're just kind of aware of Roger Corman. If you know anything about B-movies, you just know that the guy exists and, you know, is making these wonderful little films in the 60s and 70s. Um, I really enjoyed it, though, honestly. Uh, it was a lot of fun. It was great seeing, like, David Carradine in his 70s era. Like, mm-hmm. I'd really only known him from Kill Bill as a young man, so... You know, seeing I'll him, tell you what, he is a, he's a sexy man in this movie. He yeah, kind of is, sexy. yeah. But it's a lot of fun. I loved the over-the-top nature of it. Like, it definitely... You can see where John Carpenter is kind of getting some some ideas from in his more, like, over-the-top movies. Kind of like they live a little bit. Like, the media satire is really great. I actually thought of um, The Dark Knight Returns when I was watching this quite a bit. Like, the media satire. Yeah. Um, especially the personas kind of on screen. And and like Aaron, I definitely found it unnervingly prescient. Like, <laughs> especially how normalized the killing is and how normalized it is to brutalize and hurt people. Um, and again, the French thing was fantastic. That made me laugh very hard. Just that they blame Irving on the French. <laughs> Irving's the French's fault. <laughs> Well, and just the yeah. way that everything that they tell the people is a right. lie. Right. And exactly. I'll probably get into more specifics, but it is – it's so – so goddamn close. Yeah. Like, it's just, the, it's just the specifics that are off right now. So, oh, it, yeah. it was a weird experience. Like, the fact that apparently um, this new uh, awful society is supportive of public transportation. Uh, <laughs> that was yeah. A weird, that was a weird background <laughs> detail thrown in that I was like, oh, so – so Trump is actually a little worse than yeah. Well, and also I think even just some of the stuff that that like the Purge movies clearly take a lot from this because one of the things that's kind of hinted at uh, throughout the movie is that they the the point system for killing civilians is like based on who they feel is less valuable to society. So they're using this game show as a way to like get rid of people that are not as helpful in the world that they want to build, which again, right. the Purge movies is all about like, yeah, go out, you get to kill whatever you want, knowing that it's they're killing all of the people that, uh, according to the leaders of the people in the Purge, are draining resources and money from the state. There's some of that in the movie. I think like uh, there's a sequel that just came out that I think is like a little more um, into that. And obviously the Purge basically makes that the center point of its plot. 
In this one, it's like played as like the blackest of black comedies. Yeah. Roger Corman wrote an original draft of this and thought it was kind of like morally vile and then uh, decided <laughs> to make it into a comedy and it helps a lot. Like, yeah. yeah. Viewing it as a comedy, it's like absolutely uh, hilarious in a very self uh, aware way, which is not typical to certain movies on our show i feel like there are plenty of movies at our show that like are funny but like unintentionally funny or like you're laughing at them funny like this movie i yeah. think is funny on purpose and it works and it is punch you in the face style satire not like a network which now does not feel like a satire <laughs> no yeah. it, it feels like 70s air woody allen mixed with a roger corman movie yeah like it feels yeah. like bananas and then you know Whatever, whatever, B move, Piranha, whatever. I guess Piranha is kind of a comedy, but uh, yeah. So Peter, though, before we before we start digging into some some deeper stuff, what uh, you mentioned that you'd seen this movie before and hated it. Yeah. Uh, what, what were your thoughts now? What What was your experience previously? I saw this movie when I was in uh, high school, and I was kind of hunting down all of the cult movies that I could find, the big ones. Uh, w- with a car to destroy them? Right. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> he had a list. Uh, He's checking yeah. it twice. Yeah. <laughs> I had a special leather mask made just for the occasion. <laughs> um, and I was driving. I, my so you go to like car. a blockbuster, like, I'm. I'm looking for all of your 70s movies. And they just go and beat them with a hammer. And that's why. And, and they're now, like, and now Blockbuster is out of business. They were just like, nobody rents those anyways. Why would I give a shit? Ah! <laughs> I hated this movie when I watched it in high school and I was trying to catch up with sort of uh, cult movies that people had put in my face. Um, and I think it was because at the time I was, uh, as a serious new film goer, I liked stuff that was grim and vicious and super serious and like something that's supposed to be funny first and foremost, that's not a traditional comedy, I think kind of scared me off. And now when I watched it as an older person, uh, I mean 25, but older, uh, it was much more thrilling as a sort of like satiric experience because i was laughing at most of the jokes there yeah, yeah. it felt like i was watching a whole different movie than last time and uh aaron mentioned it but the blu-ray is, is pretty great i've seen the remake with jason statham the paul ws anderson one and it is bland like they cut out a lot of like most interesting assets and at the time i remember being like well at least it's more competent than death race that the paul ws anderson version is just like useless let's use that to kind of Seg- uh, segue into something that, again, always announce your segues. Um, something that I wanted to talk about, um, because I did watch this, and this is almost like tangentially related to this film in general, but I think this is a really good example. So when I first watched this, I got the Blu-ray from Netflix, just like Peter did, and then I went to watch it again, and I the, the Blu-ray had been in my Amazon cart for ages, and I never picked it up, only to find out there was not an HD way to watch this. I end up renting the SD version on Amazon and the whole movie I'm like is my is my internet connection all of a sudden shitty because it was I've rented a, a SD movies on Amazon before um this fucking Blu-ray ever goes out of print because <laughs> this is terrible and the Blu-ray looks gorgeous and I think movies like this like when you kind of see them like remastered in HD, I know a lot of people really like that. No, this is a movie that should be seen in bad quality and on VHS. 
But having just watched this on VHS light quality, if not worse, I was like, this is taking away from my experience. I cannot enjoy what is going on in these movies. And I, and I'm not, I guess I'm, I'm almost bringing into a much larger discussion point, but these movies look probably this good or close to it on the movie theater where they were actually meant to be seen. Right. Mm -hmm. So it, it was just, it was kind of amazing to me because I've never really participated too much in that discussion, but having seen something on a Blu-ray first and then basically going to VHS quality, I was like, if I had seen this in this quality originally, I may not have appreciated it because I would have been so fucking distracted on how terrible everything looks. Yeah, this movie has a sort of Dawn of the Dead color palette that I'm a really big yeah. fan of. Yeah. It's very bright and technicolor looking. The blood pops in that sort of pinkish way. Um, Which makes sense because it's supposed to be a game show that people want to watch. And a lot of it is framed as like these are the actual interviews and these are the sets. And I'm the announcer in these bright colors and, and all that kind of stuff. So when when that is muted and like grainyized, not a word, but hopefully <laughs> you guys can, can guess my meaning. It actually kind of takes away from what the movie is trying to do, which is to show this bright, clean game showy world that just happens to have a lot of grotesque violence in it yeah i mean i think actually tying into that i do think that one weird consequence of like grindhouse fondness like fondness for like exploitation of b movies from that period is that people don't recognize that like the filmmakers who made these movies were making like you know very bad quality movies in terms of like what they had to shoot with in the budget, but that doesn't mean they didn't want these movies to look good. Yeah. <laughs> or they probably wanted more money. You know, like that's the kind of the problem with the Grindhouse movies that Tarantino and Rodriguez made, like the whole like grainy, like crappy missing real thing where it's like, I don't think the filmmakers who made these movies wanted that. No, that's an excellent point. No one's like, Look, I'm going to make this movie. I hope people are so distracted by the quality that they can't even pay attention to what's on screen. I, I hope they're like adjusting shit. their tracking. I hope they have to eject it a couple times and maybe <laughs> open the lid and blow in it like a Nintendo cartridge. Right. I want them to be perplexed and confused and for the whole thing to feel like a chore for your eyes. I want 15 minutes missing from this movie. It will make no yep. sense, and it's great. Delete it. <laughs> you burn those negatives, Carl. Yeah. I want this to be a grim experience for everyone involved. <laughs> I want them to be deeply frustrated by the time it's over. I want yeah. them to feel the way that I feel whenever I watch a Godard movie. They think every director from the 70s is fucking Andy Kaufman. Like, <laughs> let's just fuck with them. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, do people have to have a good time? Is that necessary? <laughs> God. And that's oh. why I love Scream Factory and these these labels, like in Criterion yeah. Collection, where, particularly Criterion Collection, where they'll pick like random trash movies that they're just like, yeah, we're going to give this a sort of release that it might not deserve, but it is going to be the best release this thing has ever seen. It's going to look better probably than it did in that right. shitty theater that you watched it in back in 1965. Like, yeah, well, even this Blu-ray is, like, from the Roger Corman collection. I know they released, like, a few Blu-rays of Roger Corman-produced movies. Um, and, yeah, it looks absolutely, like, 
knocked my socks off. I, re- I remember making a point of like, this looks gorgeous, even for a Blu-ray, uh, based on the movie of its error. So it makes me want to maybe take a look at like, I have the Piranha DVD, which looks okay, but maybe I should uh, upgrade that to the Blu-ray. Yeah. Uh, speaking of this, even though this is a Roger Corman produced movie, I didn't know this, that Paul Bartel directed it, who directed Eating Raul. Oh. And who is in this movie. He was in, if you watch 80s horror movies or sci-fi movies or kind of cheaply made movies, my guess is you've seen him and Mary uh, Warrenoff in a movie together. Uh, Rock and Roll High School. Mm. Um, they're they're together in even stuff like Night of the Comet. Like they they were in like fifteen or sixteen movies together. But I didn't know that he directed this and directed Eating Raul and uh, a few other things here and there. But they were yeah they were in seventeen uh, films together as a couple. Um, Chopping Mall as well, which is another Chopping Mall. Movie. Yep, it's not a great movie, but uh, it's got those those two. Um, Mary Warnoff and Paul Bartel playing um, like a yupp, awful yuppie couple again, which is pretty fun. <laughs> they were couples a lot in the, in these movies. It felt like, or at least uh, dating, or they had some sort of relationship. But uh, uh, yeah, it's it's kind of amazing. Like when I started going through, especially after seeing Eating Raouls, like, hey, is that the couple from Eating Raoul? And then they they just kept popping up over and over in these movies together. Um, which which was great, but I yeah I first time I saw this movie I did not recognize that both of those people are in this movie and that he directs Sylvester Stallone as well. This was early in his career as well, so there's a lot yeah. of like people who became people. David Carradine I guess was like already kind of reaching yeah he apex, was people because this is post kung fu. Yep, but Sylvester Stallone like that this was like another just like another. Uh, a movie on his rise of getting people to actually recognize his, his face. I think yeah, this, this is pretty like, the big time of directing Staying Alive, the sequel to Saturday Night Fever. Yes, his, <laughs> his greatest film. Um, it, is, it is pre-Rocky, so... Uh, yeah, it's right like a year before, before Rocky. Rocky. Yeah. yeah, right before. Yeah. I think Stallone is fantastic in this. Yeah. Maybe one of his best almost, performances. <laughs> yeah, and I honestly wish for an alternate universe where Rocky didn't take off and he just played like a meathead villain in movies for 50 years because when they're eating dinner that I just love so much just the way that he says like bullshit yeah, and he's <laughs> in fucking cream or whatever the fuck is on him tartar sauce it was so good and he, he was so good at playing that role and the fact that then yeah he's the hero in Rocky and then he spent 40 years of his life playing the hero in all these movies it was like this. This is an alternate vision of what we could have gotten. I feel like Spy Kids Three is the closest we've ever come to this level of like obnoxious, awesome camp, and uh, that did not well, measure fuck, up. Now I need to see. Now I need to see Spy Kids Three. I, I think. I think you're and good. One. I think and you're two? good. <laughs> How about four? Do I need to see <laughs> the Adventures of Shark Girl and Lava Boy in three D? Oh sure, sure, absolutely. So. Uh, I was wondering if you guys could help me navigate this. Um, the the president, somebody asks, Mr. how is Mr. President? Is he still in Moscow? And uh, Mr. Frankenstein says, he's in Peking. So does that mean that we took over China or t- China took over America and put a white person in power? I think it's clearly that we took over. Yeah. Okay. So but yeah. like people were terrified of the Chinese in the 70s as well. Like that was a thing and people were still terrified of Russians. So I wasn't sure if that was like a, a man in a high castle style thing. Like this is America being run by, you know, a, 
communist satellite. No, I think I think it's definitely that like capital because I feel like this is this is kind of an extension of the worst of capitalism. Right? I agree. Because I, yeah, because this is like they literally have placed value on human life down to uh, a point. Yeah. So they are saying that like these are commodities that are that are that they will sell for ratings and yeah. So I. It is weird that – the only reason I think that maybe the French are the bad guys in this movie is because I think they think it's funny. Like, the idea that the big resistance or the country that they – you know, they took down Russia, they took down China, the French, they're the joke that retreated from the Nazis. I honestly think that that is probably why they chose them in this kind of, like, movie that's trying to make these big jokes – that the French are the least likely to be the one country still standing against this American empire. But it, they, and obviously they didn't know that, you know, 30 years later, we'd be blaming the French for all of our problems. But so um, are the French since the resistance for the people that actually committed the, the acts, uh, are the French an actual enemy that they use to scapegoat for crimes or have the French been, have the French been wiped off the planet? I feel like the central joke it's hard to say. They don't really clarify that in the movie. I don't know if the French the are a military. Minutes. There's no time. To Power, no, there's no time. But I do think that the central joke is really more on Americans just hate the French for like no reason. My dad doesn't like the French and I don't really entirely understand it. I understand it, but it's in pieces. But mm-hmm. like, I think it's just that central joke. But we hate them because or like we used to hate them. Or hate, hate, in quotation marks. Right. Because they were wusses, and they didn't stand up to, like, the Nazis. Yeah. I feel like that's the joke. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. But that's why I think it's supposed to be funny that they are the country of resistance. And, and you're right. They don't clarify. To answer Peter's question, I would say that they are a country that doesn't like this version of America. They prob- I think right. they probably do exist. But they're clearly getting scapegoated for... Everything that happens in a way to to turn the public against. Yeah, because yeah. it makes total sense that it would be America taking over China and that this because this contest is clearly like, yeah, capitalist uh, bastardization of, of human life. There's just a few a few lines that stood out that I was like, they ran by so fucking fast because this movie does not stop. It's 78 minutes and it's nothing but car crashes and jokes yeah. and um fucking like little peeks at what sort of corrupt strange culture is going on um and yeah i was, I was just curious there's a one more line that was confusing to me and i don't know if i'm just being stupid which is very possible there's a line that mr president says is in the fertile field of minority privilege and i wrote yep. the next quote is what the fuck does that mean because it sounds like minority privilege sounds like something that would be like a movement towards giving gay people and you know people of color no, I, uh, rights. What does that mean? No, I th- no, I think that's clearly what it means. He says that at the end when he's like, "Here's the here's the things that we want to bring back." So I think minority privilege in this context, I don't think it's supposed to be like that clever of a line. I just think it's supposed to clearly say like giving people of color and uh, people of different sexual orientations, different creeds, like rights again. Peter, I was confused about that as well, actually. 
Yeah, it, it's a weird line because I was like, is this a terminology that was used politically back then that I do not understand, like just lost favor? Some PR dude in a lab figured out that you shouldn't say this anymore. <laughs> Like a Frank Luntz type dude is like, right. actually, we'll ne- we're never saying this again. It it does sound like something like Nixon would have said as a negative. Uh-huh. Like we sh- like we shouldn't be doing minority privilege, which is like probably like affirmative action or basic civil rights or something like that. So it felt like a maybe a poorly written line or a reference to something, the inversion of something a conservative politician said at some point in the era. But I I, I thought it was pretty clear, but I did note it. Too that it's like that's a weird way to say like we should give rights to minorities, but I think that's what he's trying. Yeah, I would I would hope because he's trying to get rid of the games and shit. I would hope that right. uh, this is supposed to be a sort of like optimistic ending with a little peek at the Frankenstein did have a violent coup to overthrow the president. Like there's some, <laughs> it's not purely purely righteous. Well, and he's it's not purely righteous because he still kills women, children, and the whole thing disdains his uh, the person the resistance when she avoids that, and I. I think one of the reasons that this movie works and the violence in it works and all the other stuff that it's trying to say is that it never backs down from it. Where these types of movies fail, I think, is if they have this culture of violence and then there's like one person, even though they're raised and normalized in this culture that should just be normal to everyone, it's literally normal to everyone – and they're participating in it, but then, like, secretly they're like, no, man, I'm going to participate in the games, but I'm the guy that doesn't kill people. And I feel like that undermines movies' points when they try to have, like, such an obvious hero figure in these movies that is participating in the culture, but then rejecting the culture. In, quote-unquote, real life, that person would never be a hero in their culture. And it feels like uh, Frankenstein uh, – Wally has a problem with the president, also has been raised in a world where running over babies means 100 points. Yeah. And so it's not that Mm -hmm. weird to him when he has to do it on an individual. Like, in those moments, it's like he doesn't feel guilt. He doesn't feel bad. It's just this is what I do while still maybe saying – on a macro level, this is bad. But, yeah, people die every day. It It is not that big of a deal to me. And they never back away from that. And I think that's what makes the comedy work. I think that's what makes the dystopia work because so many movies, uh, especially mainstream movies, which is why these types of like uh, exploitation movies are so good because they never felt like they had to pull away from that and undermine their own point. Yeah. Because who ca- who cares? This isn't yeah. going to to theater. So I, I love that about this movie, the way that, that it commits to Frankenstein being a – undeniable monster and i just don't think these movies work when they try to make their protagonists um heroes who are constantly looking at the culture around them and going i don't like that at all and i think that's kind of like why like a hunger games or something fails a little bit because their hero is rejecting something that everyone else loves she should love it too and then maybe just not like the government yeah, yeah. And, and we and a part of it is because there's a sort of a weak need uh, pressure that falls into like like uh, we need to have an audience identification character. And I yep. love this movie for not having that because when you're watching something like this, you're watching it specifically because it's weird and it takes you to a different world and it takes you to a different sort of well, I guess not really that different of a world. 
but uh, <laughs> it takes you to uh, a different picture of uh, how you picture reality. And I don't really need like I don't. I, that's why I fucking hate movies like uh, The Patriot. Uh, and like I enjoy like occasionally watching a movie like that, but like there's always a scene where in the like in the Patriot where like, he's like a fucking dude from like South Carolina in yeah. the Revolutionary War. Oh who god, has he has black servants who are paid and they stand up for him <laughs> and they're oh we're not slaves, sir. It's like why Bullshit. are you not slaves? <laughs> yeah, you're like <laughs> why why are you trying to like morally justify something? Yeah. I actually, weirdly enough, like, I, I understand why they did that in The Patriot, because they were like, people gave Gone with the Wind shit. But, like, in this perspective, it really works, because they're not begging you to fall in love with this, with Mr. Frankenstein. They're just asking you to go along his journey. Yeah. Yeah, and, and even the resistance is, um, turns out to be once they gain control, turn out to be just as violent as anyone else. So oh, yeah. there this this is not a world where even the resistance is like we need to stop killing babies. They were using that as a platform to gain their own power. So I think the these types of like let's really look into our dark souls but then see it in this kind of weird funny way. I think they only work when you don't constantly try to pull back because when you're pulling back, it's it's like trying to sit on a eat, eat dinner at a table where someone's constantly pulling the tablecloth. Like it's hard to eat your food and just you maybe the meal was great, but you are so distracted by that that it takes you out of whatever you were trying to experience at the dinner table. I like about the movie and I actually so I made a note of this when I was watching it because I took notes, damn it. I'm focused, <laughs> was every single one of the characters in this movie is either a murderer or complicit in murder and violence. And I really love that about it um, because I think it's really a tricky balancing act. Like, Peter, you're right that like too many movies have likable protagonists. But then the problem is you're going to have a movie where no one is sympathetic. Like, I think that sometimes um, the Coen brothers can try that and almost like... They don't quite get it right where everyone is a little unsympathetic. Controversial hot take. But <laughs> this movie's really good at that. And also, like, being so entertaining that you're okay with it. And and having you alienated from every character, pretty much. And yet being very comfortable with that at the same time. But watching this movie as an exploitation movie and watching it yeah. as a comedy and watching it as a movie after you've seen a hundred these three men will race to the finish line. Like after you've seen a hundred <laughs> of those movies, this movie grows greater and greater. Cause you're like, there's not like some innocent boy who's going to get, you know, taught the ways of the streets by like a friendly Latino guy who like is really good at fixing cars. And like, this movie's not going to have like, you know, a young member of the resistance who, you know, is, is really driven, but he doesn't really want to kill either and only kill if he has to. And then the movie right. like goes out, the movie bends its reality to make you um, think that this character is still a good guy. <laughs> this movie doesn't do that. Yeah. And that's why this this movie actually reminds me a lot of Starship Troopers, uh, not because of yes. the fascist undertones, oh, God, yeah. but because there's no one in fucking Starship Troopers that has a problem with the fascism at any point. Like, and that's why people thought uh, Roger Ebert, some other people, which is funny because Roger Ebert hated this movie, too. I feel like we do a lot of Roger Ebert bashing. He's my favorite critic of all time. Yeah, the oh, reason we, but, the reason we bash he, him he, is because it, it, we read all he, this he shit. He did not seem to – yeah, and he did not seem to understand 
some of these movies, or if he did understand them, he just didn't like what they were trying to do, which is fair. Uh, people really confuse Starship Troopers for like a fascist message, and I can oh, yeah. see the same thing for this movie. Uh, even though I wasn't alive at the time, and obviously it wasn't a big budget movie like that, because it was like there was no one in Starship Troopers that said, "Guys, this is fascism. This is wrong." Right. And so because of that, so many people were like, "This promotes fascism." It's like, <laughs> no. It's just showing you what this world would actually be like because all the people that would be speaking out against fascism would be dead. Yeah. You wouldn't see them. No. And in gone. this movie, if Frankenstein was like, I just hate the violence, well, guess what? He doesn't get to be in the game because he's not running over children <laughs> to get the points that it would take for him to get to this level. So it's 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 that same thing where you actually get a much stronger version of what they're trying to say by not constantly pulling back. I think it says a lot about how much movies work best by being aware of their character's behavior. Like, movies don't necessarily need to have a moral code, but they need to be aware of who the characters are. And I think Passengers seemingly fucked up with a lot of people because the screenwriters didn't necessarily understand why the the person's behavior was so egregious. 30 years ago, that wouldn't have been as big of a problem. Like, there are so many 80s films with deeply questionable moral behavior, but, you know, that really wasn't talked about until years and years later, or reevaluated. But Death Race 2000 is really great because the, the movie is fully aware of the horror of what's happening on screen, and it's still so entertaining and so you know, bizarre to watch that it's just making you roll of it. The ending that has the revolution betray its own ideals because they have a hero in Doc- in Mr. Frankenstein is so much more potent than any other ending would be. Uh, I would be curious to see a completely straight version of this movie, sort of like how Starship Troopers goes, where he wins the contest because he wants to fucking win. And then after that, he... Um, gets to meet the president, shakes the president's hand, and there's a celebration at the end like it's fucking Star Wars. Like, I would be curious to see the other version of this movie, but I feel like Roger Corman got kind of shaky feet and he was like, let's do this other ending. And then he managed to find something really potent to say there. Yeah. Yeah. What uh, Aaron said was really true is that the fact that the revolution just caves under the weight of of power offered to it is uh, a way better ending or more thoughtful, at least. Well, and also because it happens so immediately and some of that is just because the movie is not rushed, but it's it's not stopping and staring at anything for too long. But it still gives the sense of this was just their party line to unseat the president. So how do you unseat a dictator? You say that you you criticize what he's doing and you fight against that because if you support those things, then you're not going to get people on your side. The way that it totally undercuts the idea of a revolution as some righteous thing and just uh, we want power. How do we get power? We stop this guy. How do we stop this guy? We speak out against the things that he does. Well, and that's all it was. Their quest for humanitarian efforts disappears literally in the movie's world 10 seconds after the president is dead and they have the power. Yeah, it reminds me of this movie that I love and no one else loves. Uh, It's deeply, (laughs) deeply flawed, but it's called Land of the Blind. And it's got Donald Sutherland and Ray Fiennes in it. And it's in Can I ask you something quick? Is there a man with 
one eye and is he king <laughs> it's more of a symbolic movie uh i don't I think to see this film literal blind person <laughs> uh but it's a movie that i've really liked even though it's it's clearly very very flawed but that's the central tenet of it is that revolutions and coups can often be bastardized by themselves yep yep it's not necessarily the idea that you get into power and you're like, you know, those guys had some good ideas. It's more of the idea you get into power and you're like, actually, this power is so potent that I need to maintain it in any way possible. And then you fall into, the, no matter what your political orientation is, you fall in the same tracks that the authoritarian asshole did. Yep. And I think also Americans forget that, like, I think the Cold War beat out of a lot of older Americans the idea that there could be uh, right-wing authoritarianism. I, I think they only think of, like, Stalinist authoritarianism. Yeah. And they never t- internalized the lesson of Nazis. And they just thought, like, well, yeah, if a guy comes up with a swastika hat on and has an MP40, then I'm definitely going to shoot him back. As opposed to, like, this is why Nazis were evil. No matter which side you're coming from, authoritarianism is a path. Well, it's the, it's the uh, Sinclair Lewis thing where... Lewis always said that, you know, fascism in America would not be Nazism. It would be under capitalism, like uber capitalism, basically. That the two would just wrap it around each other and, and, be, and be reborn in America. Andrew Darr. Oh, yeah. Someone in our movie group said, uh, said something very smart recently um, where he said that it seems to me like when people said never again, they literally meant never in this exact same way again. Right. Yeah. And they missed the larger point. I got to tell you guys, I think this movie is super smart. I honestly think that this is an amazing movie. I don't – this isn't like – like a, this isn't like a schlocky movie that makes some good points. Whatever level that you put Starship Troopers at uh, or RoboCop or some of these types of movies, I think this deserves to be on that precipice. Like yeah. I think this is an amazing movie. And not just in a, it's got a lot of charms. Yeah. It's 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 a masterpiece without caveats based on its pedigree. You know, I, I, I've been thinking about it. It's one of the tightest scripts I've ever seen for a, like, 70s movie. Uh, it's kind of amazing. Like, it's a bummer because, you know, so many Marvel movies now are, are two and a half hours long. Like, Age of Ultron is about two hours and, and 20 minutes. And it kind of needs to be, but also, like, why can't we have $150 million films that are 78 minutes? Like, that would be fantastic. Like, I don't want to be in the theater all day. I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, it's also, it's it's two and a half hours. Uh, and I love a lot of Marvel movies, obviously. Yeah, yeah, like, totally. It, but, yeah, but it's, it's, it's often two and a half hours to tell a story that has is very fatty in terms of scripting right and this movie is like maybe a little too lean but like it's yeah. a lesson it's a lesson in balls exactly there's nothing there it's great yeah it, there's no sense where like in marvel movies i feel like because they are commercial products which is not a bad thing for a movie to be it's fine um they're commercial products they i feel like they always have to take a step back and say like Let's re-explain some shit to you. And yeah. It, it, part of me likes that because part of me wants every movie to have an internal logic that it, that's explained to itself. Like, I don't want to jump into 
Guardians of the Galaxy 3 10 years from now and having missed two or whatever, however this is going to work. I don't want to jump into one of those movies and be like, I don't know how I felt about it because I hadn't seen the last 10 movies. And like, that's why the movies explain that shit is because they want to do that. But like, this movie is not afraid of losing you at all. And I think more movies no. that sort of like 80 minutes of balls. <laughs> that's how Mad Max was. I mean, Mad Max is longer, but Mad Max Fury Road like is, is does not care if it loses you. Every movie nowadays for, for good and ill uh, wants you to care about their characters and they want to have you invested in so that's why that's why those movies are long because they have a lot of characters in them and they want you to get all of that character story beats and that's character story beats i mean someone i'm sure a lot of people have called it the most expensive television show ever made i think that's true and i i don't even mean that as a criticism like they are doing this connected story on this very high level and that's great if you see a movie nowadays that doesn't need you to care or know that much about the characters, it's usually because they're poorly written. It's like, we don't know how to write characters, so these people are boilerplate archetypes. Yep. This movie doesn't care about you knowing that much about the characters because it's going to give you everything you need to know in these tight exchanges or quick one-liners or quick descriptions it's just a better written way of getting that information across that the the movies that are really well written now are not interested in in creating that world where you don't care about the characters well aaron i mean you should you should know i mean because as joe will tell you over and over i don't know if you heard this he hates frankenstein he does he does not care for that mr frankenstein he does not. He doesn't like anything about him. Nope, nothing. Um, not even that sweet leather outfit. It's kind of like Ghostbusters. Like when you realize that Ghostbusters is, if you take out the credits, ninety-five minutes long. Yep. That blo- that always. It's my favorite movie of all time. It never will stop blowing my mind because it feels long. Even though I really did like the twenty sixteen Ghostbusters, it feels like more happens in nineteen eighty four Ghostbusters than it does in twenty sixteen Ghostbusters. And it's a 40-minute difference in movie. Yeah. Or maybe maybe 20 minutes, 30 minutes. Feels like more eventful. Yes. It's entertaining as hell. Like, we went on an adventure together, and I wasn't tired a minute of it. I, I have to say, actually, I definitely, I loved the length because, like, I think as I've gotten older, I, curiously for a guy who, like, grew up on Judd Apatow movies, I have lost all patience for long comedies like i remember watching train wreck and feeders and being like oh jesus christ there are 40 more minutes left of this yeah like i didn't even hate that movie but i was like i can't do this it's two hours long i really like train wreck but yeah. it's true that when I, we talk about this on this this podcast a lot like go k which is like 80 minutes yeah it's like a perfect movie and there is a sense of relief i get when i look at a movie i'm about to watch and go oh an hour 22 right perfect like when i see a movie that's over two hours I am like, I feel like it's a chore I need to do. Like, yeah. man, I really want to see The Wailing, um, which is actually a great example of a movie that, like, transcended its length. Yeah. But it still is like, oh, fuck. All right, I guess uh, I guess I got to start this early or... Yeah, you have to block up more time. Stay up late or... Yeah, I don't... I would... Like, you see something... I Like, I can start a movie at 11 p.m., if it's an hour and a half and still go to bed in a reasonable hour. 
That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. All of us probably love a lot of long movies. It's just like a thing that eventually over the years you're like, you just forget that movies are certain movies are long. But the issue is that a lot of these two and a half hour sort of like action epics really just need to be like 90, 95 minutes. Mm-hmm. Like I, I can't stress enough how much I hate this trend of like, like I watched this movie with Tom Cruise that approximately zero people uh, remember, which is called Oblivion, and it's I, like, oh actually, yeah, yeah. I actually really like that movie. I usually don't care about shallowness in movies, but it's like a visually gorgeous music video with a great score and a very simple plot, and it is somehow two hours four minutes. That movie was way too fucking long. It should have been a ninety-minute visual feast. I I think somewhere around the yeah I think somewhere ar- around the bend, people had this idea of like getting your money's worth. It happened in video games too. Oh, it's the where worst like, trend in video games ever. Yeah, it's where where it's where worse. it's like yep, where it's like this is a ten hour game. I paid sixty bucks for this, and I feel like that came about in movies too. Where it's like, are you kidding me? As as movie ticket prices went up like i just went and i drove all the way out here and it's a 70 minute movie fuck you and it's like okay did you like those 70 minutes like when did when did movies and video games become about like quantity uh video games is so funny too because horrible dude because you used to like the whole point is that you could warp in super mario and you could beat that game in 45 minutes and everyone was like who even does this without warp zones and now it's like if i don't have uh a hundred animus fragments to to find throughout the course of the city what the fuck am i even doing (laughs) with my life and that's the thing is you collect these fucking like hidden packages and these little like gems or whatever just to like fill consumer time and then when it's over, you're like, oh, I guess I got a that was it point trophy. What did I? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was it. it, it, it and that, yeah. The only thing I got from this is a low-level anxiety disorder. <laughs> <Exactly. laughs> <laughs> That'd be a oh, great t-shirt. Uh, Peter, actually, on your uh, spect- aesthetic spectacle note, I actually just showed my girlfriend the Neon Demon, mm-hmm. and this is my second viewing of it. And I will say, like, I still like that movie. She didn't like it, which I completely understand. But it's yeah. too goddamn long. It's two hours. It's two hours. That pacing. Yeah. It's a nightmare. It's too long. I really love it, but yeah. yeah. That that is a perfect it's on my top ten of the year. Like I Yeah, really, I loved it too. It's but that is a perfect like there's a half hour out of this that you could yeah. cut and I would not have noticed. The yeah, editing, like just pace it back a little bit, guys. Yeah. And only God forgives was ninety minutes. Right. Yeah, that's right. what I was gonna say. Only God forgives, I loved its sort of like slowness and its nightmare quality. Because uh, it never felt too exuberant. Like, it de- never felt too uh, dragged out. And I, I, I loved that about it, where I was like, yes, this will be a slow 10 minutes, but, like, something very strange is going to happen soon. Whereas in Neon <laughs> Demon, I, I, I loved the movie. But, like, yeah. yeah, I can't see a world where that movie didn't need to be 20 minutes shorter. Mm-hmm. There are weird exceptions, like... Like extreme uh, exceptions where I'll watch something like this is a documentary, so maybe it doesn't count, but like Crystal Lake Memories, uh, the eight hour documentary about Friday the 13th movies. And I'm like, this could be twice as long. Yeah. I can't believe it's already over. I, I watched the Dahmer movie. I think it's just called Jeffrey or Dahmer. And uh, it's only 80 minutes. And I was like, I could watch way more of this. Yeah. Like, I yeah. wanted much more content. That's There's so weird, much here. 
That's a weird Los extreme Ange- example because you're like, I already feel dirty. Just give me more right. of this. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was just like, this is creepy and I want more information. God damn it. Yeah. Like, I've already masturbated three times. I could go a fourth, but then you're moving. <laughs> oh, my um, God. I agree there. And I think this is a, a lean and beautifully elegant movie in times. And it oh, seems yeah. clumsy coming out of the gate because it's just throwing jokes at you. Like, uh... Fuck. Yeah, let's get into some of the we, – we've talked about so many broad themes. There's so many great moments in this movie. Let's yeah. let's start digging so into some I, of those. Can I start to talk about Harold, who's like my favorite character in any movie? Harold's the announcer guy. Yes. Oh, yeah, he is. He is the best. I love him. Harold is this like ascot-wearing, big-haired, like flamboyant announcer. And I say – usually the term flamboyant, you mean gay? No, I mean like just flamboyant. like Just big. Yeah, he's more British yeah. flamboyant, but he doesn't have an accent. Um, he just loves the races. He just yep. loves the races. Like he's got, the, he sounds like an announcer. Oh my gosh, Frankenstein! <laughs> oh, like if every NASCAR race had a guy like this funny and like coming up with witty one-liners whenever people crash, like maybe I would actually watch it. Um, no, I wouldn't. Um, comes out, he has like names like. Uh, uh, swastika sweetheart Herman the German there's like nicknames for everybody and they're all stacked on top of each other and I was trying to like write as fast as I could to get everyone's names like thinking there was gonna be like 20 cars not re- not realizing there was only gonna be like five I thought there was gonna be like 20 cars and I was like oh shit I better get everyone's name just in case but yeah he helps keep the movie moving at a fast pace yeah and he doesn't do a lot of catch-up dialogue like expository dialogue and that helps keep his character fun because if he was just there to like grease some wheels and be in case you're confused by anything that happened he would be a boring character but he's a fun character that happens to sometimes grease some wheels can you imagine if he like there's a, there's another version of this that would probably be made now where he's like a uh secretly working with the resistance right. and has a whole backstory and yeah. stuff like that so it is it is great that they just kind of let him be this uh one note character and also it kind of really presents the movie as like this half mockumentary where you're not necessarily seeing things specifically the way the audience would see it that's watching the death race but you're you're seeing enough stuff that's close to that that it really kind of like undersc- underscores what the game's about and gives you enough moments that make it feel like uh, you're you're an audience member at home because that is very critical to a future sport movie that like the sport itself is entertaining and that you could under the right circumstances see yourself watching it as as Peter mentioned. There's a really uneasy mix of change in perspective that I liked a lot actually in that sense because like you're always wondering what's on TV and what's not, like what moments are captured by the camera. I mean, of course the big, the only real problem I have with the movie in terms of plot holes, even though I'm sure there are tons was where are the cameras? Like, how is anybody capturing any of this? How are they capturing it? But also not catching any of the resistance members. Yeah. (laughs) There are multiple angles. Like what's going on? What the hell? Hey Connor, do you know about the future? Yeah, because I think maybe. your questions. It's the year two thousand, man. Don't ask questions. It's a wizard. A wizard did it. Wizard did it. Yeah. Um. Actually, I think that that works well for. Yeah. They're probably doing like whenever they get to a town. It's like it's like probably whatever the nineteen seventy five version of like the Tour de France was, 
Like they didn't they didn't have cameras always following them around, right. but they'd get to checkpoints that they knew they were headed to, and that's where the cameras were. So it kind of and that's where they had their points and the people that they were going to run over. Now I get that that undermines my point in that whenever these people just popped out of sewers, because one of the one of this movie's great points, yes, is that the escalation to get to I'll do anything to get on TV extends to putting your life at risk, yeah, or playing uh, chicken. and being run over by cars. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like the Death Race two thousand version of like streaking uh, on a baseball field to hopefully get on TV or yelling Baba Booey. It's it's yeah. It's maybe I'll get killed, but who cares? Hi, mom. There's like a sort of gleefulness at getting rid of human life in this movie. Yeah, which is it, which is like really thrilling to me. Aim for like, the baby. Aim for the baby. Yeah, and so much so that the sequence where um, Mr. Frankenstein drives through all the nurses instead of the geriatrics, like I was laughing <laughs> out loud at the TV. <laughs> yeah. Or when the officials rule, the officials rule that killing officials is part of the game. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Officials are going to be dropping like flies all across the United States. That's right. I guess the judges themselves can be killed. (laughs) All right. We're driving from here to San Diego to move to San Diego uh, at the end of this month, uh, or I guess at the end of, of February. And it's going to take, like, days upon days. And keep in mind, we're driving the speed limit and in a small SUV. So this race must go on for a very long time, right? They have to take naps in, like, certain cities. And, like, in one day, they cover the distance from, like, what is it, New York to St. Louis? Yeah, you could probably do that. I guess you could do that. You could do that in a car, and they also clear the highways for them. And obviously, these are, like, souped-up muscle cars, and it's for a race. Like, that's a that's a long race to watch on TV in general. I think what's important, and this movie underlines it, is that, you know, in the future, the only thing that really is going to matter is the coasts. Yeah. And yes, clearly. <laughs> the heartland is like sweep sweep material at best. <laughs> you, can cl- you can clear all that shit out and just let cars run rampant. And I'll tell you what. Anyone who's left there and gets run over by a car for the Coastal Elite Game Show contestants, that's points that people cheer. So what this movie is saying is that middle America is worthless and it is drive over country. Right. <laughs> and I mean that I mean that as a pun. Drive over country. <laughs> yeah. Crushed heads. Wait, what were the what were the deal with the Rockabilly dudes that were like Playing a game where they dive into a sewer vent. They just want to be on TV. That's what I love that escalation of like, in this world, this is what people would do to get on TV. Mm. I think they also mentioned a game of chicken, I think at some point, where like, you're going to see how quickly you can dive back down. Yeah, and then one of their friends closes the vent in front of them, which is like, leans more into my idea that this world is just like viciously viciously anti-human yep well yeah it is and the and the and that's where fascism ultimately goes because human life does has a price at best and i also love that the the person who then thinks that their friend has been killed and peeks up too early and he gets his he gets split in half they're like checking out the car from the back and then oh god oh there you go <laughs> so so uh I, I know we're especially getting a little late for Connor here. So what's what's a scene or a moment that we did not get to that you wanna call out? Uh oh, oh, okay, I've got one. 
All right, so the scene with the landmine and the car just keeps missing it and then finally hits it. That is a masterpiece of tension. Yeah. It was, it was, was perfect. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was terrific. Oh, I love that scene. I was like, oh my God, this movie's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen. I wish th- that does remind this movie is so cool and I wish I would have discovered it in high school when yeah, me too. you still did when you still did the thing every weekend where it's like holy shit guys I just watched Army of Darkness oh right. my god I just watched Escape from New York now you all have to watch it have you guys seen like, Reanimator it's crazy yeah. exactly this would have slotted into that so perfectly yes and Peter had his chance and then blew it by being dickhead. <laughs> Damn it, Peter. I blew it. Yeah, I just took myself too seriously. I just liked I liked movies with exploitation movies with like a grim tone. It wasn't so much You know, I think I did too, actually, at that age. It's so funny because I was the opposite. Like I would have eaten this up. Yeah. And we've we've kind of talked about Peter on the show before that that kind of like super serious, like canon type action movie that is goofy because of the way it's presented, but it's trying to do something serious, um, was, like, not anywhere on my radar at the time. Uh, so, it, it's it's funny how similar movie tastes we have now and how apparently different we would have been in high school. Yeah, but, yeah, and I like the super sincere moments of um, movies like Battle Royale 1 and 2, like, really got me in high school. But um, now as I get older, certain sequences from Battle Royale 1 and 2 where they're just like talking about their feelings. I'm like, you know, it's touching, but (laughs) (laughs) this could have been funny. Yeah. (laughs) And sometimes funny proves the point better than serious or or underlines the the movie's themes. Um, I got two things I want to call out quickly. Uh. This movie has one of my favorite shots of any action movie ever. So, it's near the end. It's where the helicopter that they're blaming on the French is, like, chasing them through the landmine field. And there's a point where they put, like, the fixed camera on, like, the hood of the car. And there's, like, explosions right, left, both sides while there's a helicopter in the background while uh, Keith Carradine is driving. Or Frankenstein. You use the name Keith Carradine, not David. And now the ghost of David Carradine is going to haunt your ass. Oh, my God. Did I did I, did I make a Kara error? You sure did. You really oh Carradine that up. Mark Carradine, who I assume is his father's name, is going to be so pissed at me. Right. Um, no, but that shot is amazing. It, it actually was, like, frustrating to find out, like, I don't know if you guys have both seen Eating Raul, but that's a fucking great movie, too. I've never seen Cannonball. Which is the other movie that the director did, but I feel like I definitely need to. And that shot is so good. Like, this movie's so well directed. Yeah. And a lot of Corman's, like, stable of amazing directors went on to do these really big things. And I really like the other movie I've seen by Paul um, Martel, but that was basically it for him. Yeah, he that died at 61, bad. which is pretty, pretty sad as well. I think he could have had a pretty serious career as this, like a sort of comedic actor. Um, my favorite sequence in the movie involves him. My favorite sequence in the movie is the introduction <laughs> of Mr. Frankenstein. Oh, yeah. We haven't really talked about the fact that why he's called Frankenstein and the, the great joke about that. So he's like, okay, so he's like a, uh, a former competitor who just keeps getting pieced together over and over again because he hasn't won yet. Yeah. So that 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 is the biggest plot hole of the movie is that 
it seems like everyone dies on these uh, death races, so I'm not quite sure how uh, people like him have all these histories in this race that hasn't resulted in either winning or death. This race is particularly dangerous because the resistance is deciding to to attack this race. Whereas in previous oh, years, you would only get knocked off the road by other drivers or your own right. fuck-ups. Or maybe it's like the World Cup, where every four years is the big race, and then there's all these competitions where you like qualify for the big and one. And you need to get enough points and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I don't know. The introduction of Mr. Frankenstein, which is also funny that he's Mr. Frankenstein, and yep. even people that hate the president call him Mr. President. Like, this movie has a weird <laughs> sense of respect for authority figures. And there's a line where, I think it's Harold, says, America loves you, Mr. Frankenstein. And I was thinking that that's, like, <laughs> actually a way better title than Death Race 2000. Oh, I like that. Yeah, I, I like it, that I think a lot. Be, I think it would be a lot better. But yeah, so the, the introduction of Mr. Frankenstein, it tells you everything you need to know about the character and why he's a hard ass until like the last 15 minutes when he has sex and then he's nice. <laughs> and the, he's just like, would you care to comment on that? And he just goes, no. <laughs> Frankenstein does not concern himself with these fucking reporters at all. And he's just like putting on this hard ass exterior and they love him for it and i love that like sort of like all business attitude that he starts with and by the end of the movie like yeah he's still he's no matter what happens he still just wants to fucking win the race yeah mm-hmm. like, that's always been his goal is to win the race like he doesn't give two shits yeah it almost seems like his reasoning for wanting to kill the president is very personal like that he is sick of doing this race and that like I do love that he does not have any real grand ideas for for why he wants to participate in this revolution. He again, he's still killing people. He doesn't uh, express any sort of like ethical conundrum or anything like that. He just is like, yeah, I'm sick of this world, and I want to kill the president of the world, <laughs> and <laughs> not into it. And that works perfectly for having someone to root for. That doesn't undermine the movie's uh, universe that it's created. My, my last thing that I really want to just mention is I think this movie just, again, it, it keeps hitting these little moments that are worth like almost their own podcast worthy of discussion. Oh, yeah. And I think that's why this, mo- this movie's so it – just, it's just packed to the brim. And the idea that when you are run over by someone on this race, this sport – that your wife gets a bunch of rewards and gets trotted <laughs> out on TV, and she's fine with it. She likes is supporting that that her husband was run over by one of the death racers, which is like a perfect parallel to, especially based on the era of when this movie came out, of like trotting out like a, a widow of someone who died at a war that may not be like morally okay for the good of the country quote unquote which this game show is too and being like thank thank you so much for your husband for giving his <laughs> yeah. life for our country that's more than just a turn of the screw like that puts the screw all the way in and it's a two minute fucking scene and i yeah, I think a good way to sort of like uh, walk towards the end of this movie is to talk about it and as like sort of reality show culture. And I totally mm-hmm. agree with you because it reminds me of shit that the Bush years did, where they would yeah. trot out they would trot out Gold Star families like or like Pat Tillman, aren't they? Yeah. Who like was against the war, yeah, and like exploit his entire family and then give them like it's hey you're on TV you're getting famous and like when his brother like freaked out. And everyone's like, shut up. Don't you know how good this is for your family and stuff like that? And he he went along with it for like 
a half a second then flipped out at the funeral and yeah it's it's exactly like that and but they but in this world like there is no actual war and veterans so these people that are being like mercilessly murdered are trotted out as like here like getting killed by one of these cars is a heroic death and it's not too hard to go yeah how is that different than doing like an illegal action against a country yeah. that didn't do anything to us and it reminds me of what's that show with ty pennington where he uh gives people houses extreme makeover home edition yeah i'm not saying wow. it was bad uh, connor it's bad. i've never heard you more excited about nice. something yeah connor, are you, you ty pennington <laughs> i i am ty pennington i i didn't want to tell you because i was so ashamed yeah, I. Don't uh, this is like secret. your Frankenstein moment. You rip off your <laughs> mask and your Ty Pennington. It, it was a weird thing when I you watch the show, and I, like, I don't really have a moral opinion on that show. Like anything that gives certain people that need houses a fucking house has to be at least somewhat decent. But I just remember how be, cr- being creeped out by dragging out these Gold Star families and being like. We're going to go into every single aspect of your suffering and we're going to talk about right. – we're going to talk to your son about how hard it is to not have dad around and then your son, he's going to have a race car bed. Like it's such a weird system that we've like made reality TV shows a way of coping with reality. Donald Trump, as the years go on, is just going to try and make more and more. I don't think he actually likes Sean Spicer or whatever the fuck that dude's name is. Oh, he hates him. He hates him. Yeah. I think what's going to happen is eventually he's going to stop holding those press conferences and he's just going to do like reality show style. Like this week I'm trotting out this platform and like. So, you know why I think that's true? This is this is going to be for all the listeners a week old news. But while we took our bathroom break that got edited it out uh donald trump ordered uh no more of his advisors or anyone associated with his government to appear on cnn what uh yeah uh, okay because they are they are yeah, even though his fucking camp yeah <laughs> proving your point accidentally of what's really going on in the world he just basically said that because cnn does not give him fair coverage uh they no longer have any guests from conway spicer uh, any of his surrogates are no longer allowed to appear on CNN. Oh, God. You know, this is an example of where it's like, I hate CNN, and yet, somehow, like, I have to agree with this asshole for completely different reasons than what he's thinking. Like, whatever. Well, you know what's so crazy skull. is that the, the reason this whole thing exists, because CNN has been remarkably helpful to him. Yeah. The whole reason it exists oh, yeah. is because uh, Jeff Zucker... And him had a falling out when uh, he was the head of NBC and he was doing Celebrity Apprentice. Right. Like, it's it's literally a petty fucking reality show feud going to change the way our media works. Um, so, it's just – it's it, we, we picked such a fucking weird month to do this because this yeah. was literally – I don't think we talked about it at the onset, Peter, where you're like, it's February, Super Bowl, we don't want to do horror – Let's do future sports. And then as I was watching this movie, I was texting Peter and saying, you know, the problem with future sports is they're all based in a fascist dystopia. <laughs> yeah. So let's let's talk about that real quick. Do you think that some of that has to do with the fact that movies are often made by nerds and that nerds, uh, when they look at stuff like football and uh, rugby and like the and hockey and the more violent sports they're like 
man, this is just the return of the Gladiator games. Or do you think like, I mean, I guess Running Man is specifically inspired by um, American Gladiators and American Gladiators is inspired by Running Man. What drives so many filmmakers to be like, in the future, sports will be vicious and awful. And you can't have them be like the only bad thing in the society. So I think it like leads to dystopia. Like it needs to be indicative of the dystopia. I think you're half right. And I think the other half of that is that when you live in a fascist society, you need distractions. Right. What are people easily distracted by? Sports. Like, because it's the other thing that people are distracted by is like art. And that's hard to portray in a movie. Like people go and watch movies doesn't work as well as people are focused on this game. And that's what's distracting them from all of their rights being taken away. Yeah. So I think I, th- I think those two things are why. There are all these, like, dystopian sports movies. It's weird to realize Cabaret might be one of the only pieces of art I've ever seen that is pretty much a direct critique of how art and performances can actually distract you. Most art would never critique itself like that. I would say Clockwork Orange on some level. Oh, yeah, that's a good point, too. Yeah, you're right. I can see that. Yeah, and and sometimes I find art that critiques itself really fucking tiring. Like I'm oh, yeah. specifically I'm specifically not a fan of funny games. Like I think funny games is like one of the most preachy pieces of bullshit I've ever seen in my entire life and it like <laughs> violates every law of what I think a movie should be. Like Yeah. It's a it's, it's and it's on my top 100 movies of all time. Yeah, it's the ultimate uh, have your cake and eat it too movie. I fuck I fucking hate funny games, but that's a movie that's like absolutely love it. It's actually critiquing the form that it's using in a very specific manner. We gotta do funny games. Oh God, <laughs> I will be. It'll just be me mad for two and a half hours. I, because here's what's so funny about funny games is that the. You you and I will probably agree on everything that it's doing and then go, but I like that. And you'll go, but I hate that. Right. Like, I, I don't think if, if you don't like funny games, the people that like funny games, the people that dislike funny games agree on all of it. <laughs> it's, it's not like you don't understand what it's doing or something like that. Like a lot, like a, a lot of these discussions about art turn into like, well, no, here's why I like it because I think this is its point. That's a, uh, you know doing this riff on something funny games is the rare movie where people that dislike it and people that like it agree on all of it and then they just are like but i hated that and it's like oh but i loved that we'd talk about the movie uh, endlessly on another on another podcast because i really fucking hate it uh and it would be interesting like not our podcast <laughs> another episode <laughs> oh i was gonna say that's kind of how i felt about nymphomaniac a having its cake eating it too movie where it's just <sighs> kind of throwing in your face that you like sex and it's just basically making the entire art is as unpleasant as possible watching it even though I, I really admired it but i can't say i liked it in any way maybe it's the catholic upbringing but i like when my face is rubbed and stuff <laughs> well that's just natural yeah it's also because you're a pervert <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. Um, no, I, I like I I do I do tend to like movies that like lay it on really thick. Yeah, it's like I I do like unsubtle movies. I will say, but I think you can make the case that this is a very unsubtle movie that works because of its ability to take all of these very scary things and ratchet them up to the most ridiculous level uh, that the creators could think of. And it's only a tragedy of our onion, onionification of our world that this seems 
less ridiculous than it did a mere two or three years ago. It still is. It still has a lot of great points. It's funny. It's entertaining. The action is great. The gore is great. I mean, I honestly think that this is like, I don't know what the perfect ver. I don't know what genre this falls into. That's like broader than future sports or exploitation movies or something like that. But I think this, whatever this movie is, it's a perfect version of it. Yeah. It is a lovely satire that has a lot of really potent things to say in such a lean runtime, and it is a perfect Corman movie, I think, because it's both saying what it wants to say within the runtime and giving you those sort of salacious uh, joys. So if you're there for the violence, you're going to get the violence, but also it's going to have some sort of commentary on violence that's not entirely clear. Like, the guy talking over the credits, like, I did not understand what the fuck was going on. That voiceover is the kid in uh, high school who forgot to do a speech on the history of violence and was like, hey, can you come up, uh, Stephen? <laughs> Stephen? Stephen. He's like, in uh, millions of years ago, man killed each other for sport. Um, we haven't gotten much better. Because of the Nazis, the end. Connor, do you have any final thoughts on the movie? <laughs> yeah. You know, the more I've talked about it with you guys, the more I've, I've thought about how much I admire it. It's the kind of movie where you talk through it and you improve upon it. I really loved it, honestly. Uh, it's super tight. Like, it's fun as hell. It's funny and weird and goes on these surprising tangents and moments. It's also pretty well plotted. Like, and I think part of that is just the very tight script. You know, kind of bonkers acting and moments, and I loved it. My final thoughts are that now I, uh, yeah, I, I love this movie. I'm glad that we revisited it. It's the perfect movie to revisit for the podcast because once I had to sort of like sit down and be thoughtful about it, I realized that I actually loved it and that uh, I was stupid in high school. And uh, that is the perfect rewatch scenario where I was like, you know, it, Death Race 2000 would really round out this month. I think it's a great pick, but I just don't – I really didn't like it last time I watched it. And, and then kind of expecting to be negative and Aaron be positive. And then when I actually watched it, I was like, holy shit, I was an idiot. Um, <laughs> it's a really clever movie. What's interesting is that I didn't know that you hated it in high school. All I knew is that you had seen it before. Uh, and I assumed you liked it. This was like my number one pick for this month. Because it it is one of my favorite movies of all time, like in that top 100 list. So that could have gotten very interesting, I think, if I would have known that you fucking hated this movie uh, before. Because I actually felt like Death Race 2000 was like the tentpole we were putting on this month. There was no way we were going to do this like future sports thing without doing a Death Race movie um, of some of some variety. So uh, I'm glad that we did the original and I turned around on it because now I'm, I'm pretty psyched about seeing the, the new sequel. I've heard it's really yeah, I mean, great. Yeah. Yeah. Brandon Lede, friend of the pod. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Never say that again. Uh, I've been listening to way too much Pod Save America and keeping it 1600. Uh, anyway. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, he he uh, he really he really liked the movie. And uh, I'm. I'm 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 psyched to see it too. And Connor, I'm so glad you're able to rejoin us for this movie. Me too. Just because this is this is just a you know, we're we you only get to do so many favorite movies uh on a podcast because you only have so many favorite movies. So I couldn't have thought of a better guest than you, Connor. Thank so. you very much, guys. Was, I love being here. It was great. Yes. Thank you very much, Connor. That was it was absolutely fantastic. And uh yeah, looking forward to having you back on.
Me too. Thanks, guys. Connor, do you have anything you want to plug? Uh, we'll put links in our show notes, but is there? I know we mentioned your band earlier. Is there anything that you want to direct people to? Yes. Um, so my short story, Dearest, is actually on an episode of the Simply Scary podcast. If you guys want to check oh, that out. Oh, that's awesome. It was narrated. It's done very well. It's actually creepier, I think, than the uh, story I originally wrote because of the narration. So... Give they that know a look. how to hire voice actors. Yeah, good voice acting, exactly. That's fantastic. So give that a whirl. Yeah, we'll put that link in. Anything with your band you want to send people to besides the website? Yeah, just tinflowers.bandcamp.com. Uh, you can check us out on Facebook. We're currently just in the middle of writing right now. That's kind of what we're getting down to. But um, uh, we'll let you know when it, everything is recorded and every, everything's out. His band's great. If you don't go to the website, uh, but you see him in your work camp you'll be at by the time you listen to this. Uh, say, hey, Connor, play me a tune. No. <laughs> and he'll be like, no. I'm on my break. We're resisting. Yeah. Um, this is based on the version. I feel like we need to start recording bumpers for the idea that we're all going to be rounded up. Okay, well, that was a bummer for everyone. <laughs> uh, anyways, uh, <laughs> next week, we're talking about what's the f- uh, Oath of Heroes. Blood of Heroes. Blood of Heroes. Next week we're talking about Blood of Heroes, which is a movie that Peter keeps assuring me is real. Yeah, I've never um, seen it, so I can't actually confirm that it's real, but it is listed at IMDb, so. I'm excited. Ruger Hauer is in it. Yeah, it might not exist. Maybe it's just in Ruger Hauer's uh, uh, archives, similar to The Day the Clown Cried with Jerry Lewis. <laughs> yeah, I did add it to my Amazon watch list, so um, Amazon thinks it's real. And that's good <laughs> enough for me. Um, and then the following week after that, we're doing the original 1975 uh, James Caan starring Rollerball, uh, directed by Norman uh, Jewison, which I'm which I've also never seen. Never seen that one either. Uh, that that is probably up there with some other movies where I've heard more mixed things about it being a masterpiece and a boring slog. So uh, I think that's going to be very hmm. very interesting as to where Peter and I uh, fall on that particular movie because. Yeah, it, it really is. It seems like you love it or you were bored by it. So, uh, And then, Peter, why don't you tell us who is rounding out the month? Our last episode of the month is The Running Man, and that's with a uh, new guest to the show, Peter Schubert, who is going to be calling in from Germany, right? Yeah, our first international guest. So that's going to be fun, too, because he's basically going to have to wake up at, like, four in the morning. Yeah, I was, I was... And I told him that. I told him that because I'm like, look, we'd love to have you on the podcast, but just know... Like, we recorded this time. I don't know what that means for Germany, but that probably won't work, right? And he's like, I'll make it work. And I'm like, all right. <laughs> yeah. Great. This guy sounds it's awesome. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. Thank you very much, guys. Very looking looking forward to the rest of the month. Thank you. Uh, I was going to say, it's next weekend uh, is the actual Super Bowl, the reason that we decided to do this month, and I have nothing to say about it. <laughs> there you go it, it definitely feels like the reason we did this is going to look different in history oh. um, it, it feels like more of us going hey let's talk about fascism in a fun or, or like let's those assholes figured out a way to get fascism to every fucking episode of this podcast for the next four weeks uh Naturally. Yeah, don't worry, it's not gonna be four weeks, it's gonna be four years. Full of glory and a fist of pain. A couple of battle scars, but since the same. 
Are you not entertained? To all the onlookers and the bystanders Wait to intermission, run by your cameras Record the moment, cause it'll be blatant them. And you can say you're seeing common rock the stadium I was so right, I told you to watch If you want to get in touch with us, please reach out to us At either our website, wltwpodcast.com Or our Facebook group, facebook.com backslash we love to watch and uh, yeah, reach out to us. Give us some feedback. Give us some support. Uh, suggest movies for the show. All that. We are also available on SoundCloud, TuneIn, Stitcher, and iTunes. Thanks for listening.